Is it on? There we go. Good evening. It's good to see y'all here. We're going to go ahead and get started. We're going to worship a little bit. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you don't want to stand, that's fine. It doesn't say anywhere we have to stand up to worship God. Father, we first just want to welcome you into this house, God. Father, we want to just be enveloped by your presence tonight, Father. Father, just give us everything you have tonight. Hold nothing back, Lord. Such a privilege, Lord, to come into your presence, Father, and to feel it when we walk in this room, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead.
faithful tonight that we can call him friend. God, we just love you tonight, God. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah, Jesus. within my soul No other love can compare No other mercy when I've done wrong I will lift up my hands and I will proudly Hey. 
wanted to make a couple of announcements tonight before Brother Doug gets started. Uh, men's breakfast for uh, this coming Saturday, 8.30 on the Fellowship Hall. Our pastor search committee has been meeting at least every week, sometimes twice a week since about uh, November. We're getting close. I'm not going to say exactly when we're going to be done, but uh, I think we're getting close. We're making, uh, we're making progress for sure. Brother Duck is going to be preaching for us tonight. Uh, I found out more about Brother Duck than anybody I've ever known before. Uh, Carol was his, uh, uh, he, he was her pastor many years ago, long before we started dating. Yeah, when she was, when she was about that high. And she had told me about Brother Duck. And, uh, you know, I knew him, but I really didn't know him. The last few weeks we've been had him here. I've learned a lot about him. And if I don't knock with this over. Uh, found out he wrote a book. And I have been reading it and really enjoying it. The Journey, Short Stories of the Life and Ministry of Duane and Naomi Duck. Really have been enjoying it. Uh, I have asked him to uh, tell one of the stories of the baptism in uh, Germany tonight. So. Thank you, enjoy. See if this, if this won't pick up. I don't think you can hear me, can't you? 
I don't know if I even really need it, but I'm going to use it anyway. Okay. If, we, if you hear us, well, give us this once in a while. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. And um, I'm going to do something. I have many, asked to speak many different times under different circumstances in many different places. But very seldom have I ever had a request given to me such as Ron has given me. And he's asked me to speak on a particular subject to explain that. And um, I wished I could say that I could explain it, but I can't. Well, I'm going to mention some things tonight that I don't even understand. It's, very, it's a very mystical thing. And I uh, had the headquarters of the Assemblies of God even ask me, how did this happen? And I said, listen, don't ask me. I don't know. And I don't know, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about it tonight. And you can do with it whatever you think. If you can solve it, well, wonderful. And I'm going to give you a chance to uh, ask some questions. You may even stir up a question or two on it and you want to ask. And that will be fine. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I know and what I don't know. I won't tell you nothing. So therefore, we'll be able to get through that one. But um, I, uh, I feel I've been very blessed and my wife is with me, and I have drugged her all over the world. And she is the best drag. <laughs> she's, she's stuck with me, and I'm going to tell you, we've been in 70 countries and, uh, and preached in, I've preached with five translators at one time, every language that was represented. So I've, I've seen a lot of unusual things and been involved in some of it myself. So tonight I'm going to do what Ron asked me to do. But let me just say this. I'm going to read a scripture because it's actually the setting of the story. And, uh, and someone asked me one time, do you have any stories? I said, I got a lot of stories. My life is a story. And I'm going to read this. I love the book of Ephesians, and I remember in Bible college when we studied the book of Ephesians, I found it to be the most rich book that I could ever have digested spiritually. And I'm going to pull out two verses that I just love, and I'm going to read them to you out of the third chapter, verses 20 and 21. And I'll do that for my setting, because what I'm going to talk to you tonight about is supernatural, mystical things that have no definition or explanation. So we'll do all of that and trying to uh, give you something. My prayer, and from the time Ron asked me to prepare something, I've been praying and I asked God to give me something if only one person. I didn't realize how close I was to that prayer. Only one person would get it. <laughs> so you're going to all have to grab it something tonight because uh, we're almost down to that. <laughs> I was telling uh, uh, Dennis a while ago that I said I went to one church and the pastor said, now that it's Wednesday night. We may not have many people. He was right. He and I were the only ones there. <laughs> it was really low that night. Reading now in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do 
exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen. Now, that's unusual because this is not what Paul said when he gave this particular reading in Hebrew. In fact, when the translators was trying to bring it into the English language, there is what they call lost in translation. Sometimes words won't translate with the same emphasis or power that they were originally in the original language. This is one of those cases where it says, Now to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Now we got that feeling. We know what he's trying to say, but the real saying is not there. But what he's trying to tell us there are things that are totally unlimited, uncontrollable, unstoppable, unmovable, unchangeable. And he said it's exceedingly abundantly. That's the way Paul worded it. And so I've learned that there is such a thing as exceedingly abundantly. No definition, no explanation, no description, just exceedingly abundantly. That's wonderful, isn't it, huh? Oh, I love that. So I'm going to try, I'm going to try take myself down a notch because I don't want to holler and scream at you, but I am going to try to explain to you that one thing I've learned, that God is a God of miracles, that's not because that the assemblies of God believed. It's not because that I happened to get indoctrinated through that. That's because the Bible says that. And the Word of God is the most powerful thing that you'll ever read because it is the authority of God to mankind. And I, I have found, regardless of where I'm at, and I can tell you many stories uh, along that line, and uh, Ron asked me to tell about this uh, uh, prison service I had, and I'm going to try my best to do it without getting off into something else because I can, I can shoot off to sideways once in a while. And, but first let me tell you that you never know what God's going to do. You know, He's not looking for great men, intelligent men, educated men, uh, brilliant men. He's looking for people just like you and I. And God uses those. And uh, that's the word I'm going to leave with you tonight, that God uses anyone. You don't have to have the credentials or the prefix or suffix on your name be able to do something for God. It is a, a place that God will use. I am an eyewitness to that, and I'm going to try to explain that tonight the best I can. I knew that God wanted me in missions, and I didn't know exactly how to go about it. I felt the Lord calling me, dealing with me. My wife said she felt the same thing, so we were in unity and harmony over that. We knew that God had something for us we didn't know what. So we went to visit with, in Springfield, Missouri, uh, at the Foreign Missions uh, 
department up there to talk to them about our missions, calling. We don't know where we're called to go. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to go about this. So you give us some direction and guidance. So they sat down and for two and a half days, they interviewed us, tested us, kicked us, stomped us, twisted us, done everything they could do to get everything out of us that they could get out of us. And then they brought us into a room at the end of all of that time and said, we have interviewed you, we have checked you, we have tested you, and uh, we're going to tell you some things. And they told us some things about ourselves that we didn't know. It was good to know, though. And uh, they covered several things. And one of the things that uh, I have in my resume, I'm talking to TJ here. I'm glad TJ came over to help us. He's one of those guys that we found somewhere wandering around out there in the wilderness. <laughs> and we got him in, and he's been a strong supporter. Maybe a local pastor here pretty soon in Ardmore. They've got a place they're looking at him. But anyway, we felt that God had something, but we didn't know what, and we were waiting on direction. When they set us down in that room, they began to tell us things about ourselves and what they had observed and and the interviews and all of the things that they had found. And they said, we're going we're gonna to give you something, give you an opportunity. You can say no if you don't want it. And they said, we are going to send you to the place with the largest contingent of Americans outside the United States. And you will be in a foreign land. And that will be in the country of West Germany. That was during the Cold War. And they said, um, we're going to send you over there. We're going to drop you off and come and get you in four years. And um, I very, sounded good. I said, well, what am I going to do? They said, we don't know. We don't know. And they introduced me to Charles Greenaway, which may not mean anything new, but the world was divided into four sections. Charles Greenaway had Europe, Asia, and the Middle East, and he was going to be my boss. And I said, Brother Greenaway, what am I going to do when I get over there? He said, I don't know. But he says, we think that God will use you and do something. And I said, you know, if it's anything worthwhile, it's going to have to be God, you know. And he said, well, that's what's going to happen. We're going to give you three choices. Stuttgart, Munich, Nuremberg. If you're familiar with European history, Nuremberg was to be the center of the world if Adolf Hitler had won the world war. And in fact, when I went into Nuremberg, I, I knew that in European history. So I was anxious to see the city. And when I got there, it caught me. And I knew that was where I was to be. And uh, I didn't know what to do. They did exactly what they told me. They took me over and dropped me off and said, now you build something and we'll come back and check on you in four years. Now, that's an awesome responsibility and you don't know what to do, but God does. So my wife and our three kids uh, found a little place out edge of town of Nuremberg called Rostal. And it was an old village. There were 5,000 people lived there, all Germans. 
we were the only Americans and we were like the local zoo. They would come by and look us over every day and watch us like we were some animal in a cage. And that's the way we lived. And I won't go through the details of that, but it was very nerve wracking. I didn't know what I was to do, so I got a map of southern Germany. As you know, Nuremberg is in northern Bavaria, one of the southern states of Germany. And I looked and I said, God, you're going to have to lead me. And so the Lord showed me around the city of Nuremberg was a ring of cities. There was Ansbach, Karabach, Schwabach, Hitzergarnach, Ulingen all around the city of Nuremberg, and in the Germans had used it as a defense of Germany because they had military installations in each one of those places. So I said, okay, since the Americans came in, they took over the German military bases. And I said, I'm going to start visiting each one of them. I got up, put on my suit every morning, and I started visiting each post. And they were about 20, 30 miles out, each one. I followed them all the way around until I completely circled the city of Nuremberg, a very large metropolitan area. I would go in, and I knew by being in the army that the key man is the chaplain because he has less restrictions, has more mobility, and you can deal with him much more on a level than you could any of commanders or anyone else. So I would walk into a military post and I would tell him, I'm Dwayne Duck. I've come here to help you, not to take your job or try to do your thing. I'm here to support you and ask God to help me to en enrich your ministry here. And I meant that. And next Sunday morning, my wife and our three little ducks would come in and sit down on the pew. And he would see us and know that that's exactly what we were planning to do. I did that until I completely encircled the city of Nuremberg. By then, I'm getting acquainted with the chaplains. And uh, the chaplains are the key men in the military installations. Most of them are educated fools. And I'm using that in a respectful way because so many of these people have been trained um, in some of the schools, seminaries, different places, and they have to have at least a master's, and most of them will have a master's and a Ph.D. Some will have a double Ph.D., and they're there, and that's the way their life is set up. They have to have a master's just to get in there, and so here I am, a country boy, but I'm going around and shaking hands, and I tell them that God sent me over to help them, and I'm in it. And I showed them that that's exactly what I felt. Then I discovered that on one Sunday, I mean one Monday of each month, the community chaplain is a, uh, he's a commander of all the chaplains, but he's more of an administrator than a chaplain but he runs the headshed, they call it. And these people, these chaplains from all these areas will come into this one area every, I think it's the first Monday or second Monday of each month, and that's where the community chaplain will give them the instructions and talk to them and find out all the things. And I knew they would come on a certain day at a certain hour. So I made a point to be there at this building and sit around, and I started drinking coffee then. I never drank coffee until then, but that's, the army grew up on coffee. They live on coffee. And so I began to drink coffee. 
and I would stand and go in there and I'd see all of them at one time. I didn't have to drive. They were all there and I was shaking hands with them. How are you doing? So good to see you. Bless your hearts. And I really enjoyed the fellowship. They were just accepting us into this little fellowship of the military chaplains. Now, I'm going to tell you this and I'm going to be respectful about it. Many of these folks did not know who Jesus was at all. They did not know. They were, and, and I never met but one or two of them that I felt that were full of the Holy Ghost. And uh, I saw God transform that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to digress a little bit, sidebar, so to speak. And I'm going to tell you that I saw revival fall in the hearts and the lives of the military chaplains in the North Bavaria. And we got together. They called me one evening and said, will you bring a devotion? And I said, yeah, I'll bring something. And I got there that night, and there's about 100 to 125 chaplains, military chaplains. And uh, we're gathered in this room. And it's just a very simple thing, just reading Scripture, talking, praying, seeking the Lord. And God does something once in a while that doesn't make any sense. He walked into the midst of that room and the power of God fell upon these men. You could never do that. There is no way to orchestrate such an event. There's nothing that will happen except that God took over the meeting. I know about that. You know about it. We have all seen it. But they had never seen that before. The Spirit of the Lord came down and many of them were slain in the Spirit. They prayed through. They got saved laying on the floor. They got filled with the Holy Ghost. They didn't even know what it was. And I stood there and I marveled at what God can do with anybody. Now, some of them, he had to roll them and kick them and stomp them to get all the pride out of them so he could deal with them. But there was a revival that broke out with the military chaplains in North Bavaria. A wonderful, a wonderful experience. I walk in one, one Monday morning, shaking hands with everybody. How you doing? So good to see you. Glad you have a good weekend. I'd ask. I came to the community chaplain. Now he was a artillery officer. Decided he wanted to be a chaplain, and so he had pre-qualified for some way or another. I don't know what all they had to do, but anyway, he's now. He was a colonel, but he was over the chaplains. His name was Wes Bosson. I walked in. I'm going to shake hands with everybody. And I come by. I said, good morning, Chaplain Bosson. I said, you have a good weekend. He said, I want to talk to you in my office right now. I said, oh, my goodness, what did I do? And I, we went back through these offices. And I'm thinking, I know I've done something. What did I say? We got back there. He shut the door. I said, this is, this is more serious than I realized. And he said, I want to ask you something. And I said, yes, sir, what is that? He says, does God ever talk to you? I said, Chaplain Boston, God talks to me every day. No, 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 no. When he said that, he looked up and tears started running down his cheeks. He says, does God talk with you, to you with an audible voice? Let me ask you, have you heard the audible voice of God? I haven't. I've heard God. He speaks to me every day. But I, 
chaplain Boston said that day, he talked to me with an audible voice. And when he said that, I said, oh, I, boy, I, I was really taken back. I didn't know what to say. He turned and looked at the wall and started bawling like a baby. I mean, his old shoulder, he just just shaking, and God was just pouring the tears through him. He turned back around a few minutes, and his face was filled with tears. And he said, last night God came into my quarters, and he talked to me and called me by name. And he said, when he called me by name, I knew he knew me. And he said, what do you want? And he said, I want to talk to you about a man that I've sent over here. And he said, who? He said, his name is Dwayne Duck. And I want you to open the door and invite him in. And while this is going on, he's bawling like a baby. And he said, I've got to open the door and invite you in. And I said, well, Chaplain Boston, I'll do anything you want me to do. And uh, if you're not familiar with the military, this won't mean anything. But he said, I've got you picked out for Sunday morning. You're going to hold a service down to Cobb Officers Club. I want to tell you just briefly, that's a high class beer joint. <laughs> I'll just leave it right there. <laughs> I can tell you more, but I won't. <laughs> and I said, sir, I'll go over there and preach wherever you tell me to. And this man, he was, he was scared to death. God had definitely talked to him. And he called me before Sunday and he said, no, he said, there's been a change of plans. He said, the, the, uh, the chaplain that covers the stockade had to go back to the States on an emergency and I want you to go cover his, his ministry down at the stockade. And I said, okay, sir, I'll do that, whatever you say. And uh, so he called and told them that I would be coming in. I walked in there uh, to get acquainted with them. And in, uh, when you have any organization, you'll have, the, have a non-commissioned officer in charge as well as the commander of that area. And um, there was this young boy. He was, he was a staff sergeant, uh, E6. He met me. He said, I'm Jim Powell. I'm going to help you. I'll help you with the song service. I'll help you with any part of the service. You just tell me what you want and I'll get it done. Well, I thought he's the NCOYC. You know, he's the boy in charge. Boy, we got at it. I mean, he knew what exactly I needed. I got up and preached just like I preached anywhere else. Next Sunday, I went back and then during the week, I'd do counseling, whatever I needed to do there to, at the stockade. When I went back the second time, the third time, I found out he was not the NCOYC. He was a being held for trial. Now, this is a, a very dedicated, consecrated, sharp guy. He had just won the Morales Award given to peacetime soldiers for outstanding service. That's where he was at. He had been invited by a Sherman family to come for a home-cooked meal, and no GI will turn down a home-cooked meal. And they took him to their home, and they put something in the food. He thinks he don't know when or how. They knocked him out. He came to downtown Nuremberg at the Justice Building where the Nuremberg trials were held, locked up with a charge of attempted assault. He said, I do not know anything about it. Well, the JAG officer, the officer, the lawyer that was in charge began to do an research and a little inquiry and found out that this had happened 
three times already when a host country such as Germany or wherever, Japan or anyone else, and they are harmed either by American, British, Canadian, French, whoever might have been, that country has to pay that national equivalent to $10,000 about that. They had collected t three times because they had charged different Americans and they collected $10,000. In walks this young boy with a home-cooked meal, he thinks, and they put something in his food. He's knocked out. He comes to charged. You know why I think he was, a, he was honest and sincere, sharp-looking guy? He's out of First Assembly of God in Amarillo, Texas. That's where he grew up. When I talked to him, it didn't take long to find out that boy knew what he was talking about. That's right. He led the service, the songs. He led the worship. He was wonderful with that, and we, we had a great time. I found the story, and I said, Jim, this is not right. This is wrong. He says, well, it is. But he said, God may want me in prison. How many could say that? Huh? God might want me in prison. I said, no, Jim. Uh, I'm going to correct you right now. You're, you're not going to prison. He said, Paul went to prison. Peter went to prison. Maybe he wants me in prison. Huh? I said, now look, buddy. You're God saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. You don't need to be up there in that prison. He had a wife and two kids. And I said, you don't need that. That's not you. Boy, we begin to pray every time I'd go down there every week. We'd get a whole, I said, let's pray for Jim. He's, he's under a, a real attack of the devil. Well, he went to trial. He wasn't tried by jury like we do. He was tried under German law, which is a tribunal. Three lawyers listen to the case. They can accept or reject any evidence. The evidence that the JAG officer tried to present that this boy was duped just like three others have already been, and they are in charge. They threw it out, would not allow it as a testimony against him or against these, this man, his wife. And they decided with the testimony of the man's wife that this was supposed to have been done to. She said, I saw it happen, and that's the way it is. And they said, guilty. They gave him seven years in the penitentiary. He did. I went in there one Sunday to have service, and he was gone. I said, where's Jim? They said he went to trial. He got seven years. He's now in the German system. We have no idea where he's at. Now, I want to say this, that sometimes God does things that doesn't make any sense. It would be against our standards, our, our convictions, our thoughts, and what is normal and honest and real. It would seem like that's just the wrong thing to do. But listen, God has purpose and a plan that I don't know about. The boy disappeared. We, nobody knew where he was at. About three months later, I got a letter in the German Post, the mail. It was a letter been censored and marked up and, and correct. I could not read it because it was chopped up. But it said, be at the St. George prison in Bayreuth at 5 o'clock on a certain day. That's all I could get out of the letter. So I told my wife, I said, I'm going to have to go and see what this is about. I went up there. I went into a guest room. This is a... It, does Bayreuth mean anything to anyone? Huh? Uh, okay, you're not up on... Okay, European history tells us Bayreuth is where the Odessa files was kept. That's where the files was kept to...
take the Underground Railroad of high Nazis out and send them into South America. That's, it all happened out of Bayreuth. So if you didn't, if that don't ring any bells, well, I was thinking about that when I was going up there. But anyway, had nothing to do with that. I walked into a room and I'm sitting there and the door opened and a man walked in like this. And he raised up and smiled. When he did, I recognized Jim Powell. He had long hair, had a beard, and he was so skinny, his clothes were nearly falling off of him. He was holding them like this. And I said, Jim. And he said, you didn't know me. I said, I'm sorry, Jim, I didn't. But I said, what happened? He said, don't worry about me. He said, I told you that God was in this. And he said, this is what happened. I'm at the prison where they bring all the Americans. There's about 300 Americans in this prison. Some of them have been here so long, they're now almost more German. They are American, but they're still here. They're Americans. And he said, I've been witnessing and five of them have accepted the Lord. You're here to baptize them. I said, well, Jim, I couldn't make out from that letter what I was supposed to do. He said, don't worry about it. I got it figured out. He said, in the shower room, it's about a 10 by 10. They're on the metric system, so it's hard to measure. But it's about a 10 by 10 room with a big tub out in the middle, higher than our normal tub. And he said, I've talked to the warden, and he's given us permission to use it for a baptistry. And he said that the warden has given these five men permission to bring a friend or two with them. So that meant that they could pick some out that they were in prison with and bring them with him into this, into this uh, shower room for the baptism service. And I said, that's fine with me. I don't have any problem at all with that. And he said, also, the warden has to come to witness what we're going to do. I said, I'm okay with that. Let's just do it. So we go in there, and he says, now explain to them about water baptism. And... Um, I've already told you one thing that just really did shock me, and that's when God spoke to a man that I wouldn't even say was a Christian, but I found out that Chaplain Boston was more than that. He heard the voice of God and obeyed it. And God used him. That was a miracle. I could tell you more out of that, but I won't do any right now. That just, I just give you the, the, what happened in that particular situation. Jim said that we can use the tub we can go in there. He said, explain to these guys what we're doing. We're going to water baptism, why we're going to have it and all that. And I said, okay. So I went all through it, simple as I could. I'm simple-minded, so I didn't have much trouble with that. I made it simple that they could understand that this is a type of burial and resurrection. When you accept Jesus Christ, you bury the old man, you resurrect the new man. So I said, that's it. And Jim said, okay. Everybody was clear on it. Let's do it. Jim said, now they don't know really what to do when they get in the water. said, would you baptize me first? He said, I've been baptized, but baptize me again just so they'll see. So here is what I do. I take Jim, I put him in the tub, he sits down, and when he sits down, it's about that deep on him. I'm kneeling on the outside, and I take my hand and lay it over his face and on the back of his neck, and I said, Jim, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, I baptize you. And I took him under the water. And when I came up, the Holy Ghost fell in that room in such a powerful way 
that when I broke water, there was a sound that said, whoa, and there was no window, one door, and it was shut. But where that rushing wind came from, I don't know. Every man fell at the same time. The warden fell. Everybody was on the floor. And I don't know, time stands still in times like that. You don't know if it's what? You don't know if it's days, weeks, months, or years, or seconds. You just know something happened. When I revived, I raised up. Jim had fallen against me. If he hadn't, he'd probably fallen under the water. When I raised up the warden of this prison, sitting across the room from me, looking at me with eyes that big, off of the, he was sitting on the floor. He raised up and he said to me, What happened? <laughs> Scared to death. And I said, Sir, I didn't know this was going to happen. But I can tell you this, that what God came into this room a while ago to put his approval upon what we're doing. And what has happened here is what's recorded in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 2. There was a rushing mighty wind and it filled that house. Well, needless to say, those other guys were scared to death to get in that tub. <laughs> I told them it'll probably never happen again. And I baptized five more guys and I was through and I left. Now, I thought that was the end of it. That was the beginning. That was the beginning. Because um, a friend of mine up by Frankfurt, Germany, I was down more in the, in the southern part. He was up at Frankfurt. He called me and he said, he said, do you take the German paper? I said, no, I don't read German that well. He said, well, get it. You're going to like this story. And I said, what's it about? And he said, there's some Americans in a prison at Bayreuth and, that they, and he started describing, that was the craziest story I ever heard in my life. It just got nutter and nuttier. <laughs> and he, he said, can you make sense of that? And I said, well, let me help you. I said, I think that's the story where I went up and baptized them. He said, well, it was a religious service, all right. I said, well, we baptized five guys. And I said, the power of the Holy Ghost fell in that room. And I said, every man was slain, and so was the warden of the prison. He said, well, you ought to read this story. It's the craziest thing I've read in my life. But it got on the German wire service. It went all over Europe. Stars and Stripes is a newspaper put out by the military, and, it, and they circulate, for example, in Europe. They have a, have a Stars and Stripes for the states. And Stars and Stripes reporters picked up that story, so they go up to the prison to find out what's really going on. They start running stories about what they're finding out. Now, I didn't tell anybody. These soldiers that are in this prison didn't tell anybody because they can't even communicate with their families. Who told the newspaper about it? It had to be the warden of that prison. But boy, did it stir up a hornet's nest. These people in the prison only see another American once a year. They see a Red Cross worker. They see a military chaplain. They see a doctor. They see a dentist. Once a year, they go up there to see that they're treated humanely. And that's it. So there was no one there to report that except that, that warden. And when I think about that, to know that God crossed boundaries 
God crossed language, culture. God crossed those things and introduced a prison to the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. Well, now there's stories circulating and, and the word's already got out and I'm getting phone calls and I'm getting invitations to go pray. I wish I could tell you, I got to pre preach. I preached the, the black people have a camp meeting. I was a keynote speaker at the black service. <laughs> I wish I could tell you something. <laughs> Naomi said that was the craziest service she ever saw. We had, it was a huge thing. We had church, folks. <laughs> I got invitations. I won't tell you what all. And then I'll just make one little short story before I finish this. Some chaplains called and said, would you, would you go come down? You know, and I did. I went down and meet with them and pray. And the power of God fell that night again. You don't do these things. You can't orchestrate it. You can't make people. It's just God from earth to man. That's where it happens. And that night, the power of God fell again. And God saved and filled people with the Holy Ghost. After the service, I did not know who all was there. Most of them, I had met them. They knew who they were. They were chaplains and all throughout North Bavaria. But I didn't know all of them. There was one guy came up. There was a Lutheran pastor, a chaplain, and his name was W.T. Permitter, good man, filled with the Holy Ghost, by the way. I mean, he... He really believed in what we was doing. He brought a man up to me and said, do you know him as in civilian clothes? And I said, no, I don't guess so. And he said, well, he didn't know me either. So well, here we were, we were both neutral. But he said, you ought to know this man. He said, he's from Washington, D.C. He's a four-star general that goes around. He is a chaplain and he inspects all military bases. He's in Europe right now inspecting bases. And someone invited him to this meeting. And he stood there and he said, I have been in the military 35 years and I've never in all of my life ever witnessed what I've seen here tonight. And I said, sir, this is not anything I did. It's what God does. He does it all the time. He said, no, no, you did this. I said, no, no, you're wrong. I did not do this. God did this. He did it for all of us. He said, I'm going to tell you next year, you will have the largest retreat center in Europe. And he was right. I got a call and they said, we're down here at the Birches Garden, a big retreat center in southern Germany, and we want you to do the preaching. And I went down and Naomi said, you all, there was everybody under the sun there, including the Catholic chaplains. It was a hodgepodge of everything. And God said, just preach like you would back home. And that's what I did. All you know. Let me go back to the prison. Because that, that chap, that uh, warden got so many calls, so many inquiries, he called me. Can you come back up? I got to talk to you. I went back up there. He said, I'm going to, I've already checked with our government. You see, Germans have a rule for a rule and they don't know why, but you can't change that rule either. You can call it stubbornness or whatever you want. They just don't change the rule. Some of the same rules they had during World War II, they still have the same rules. And for an example, we moved into a house. 
you can't move out of that house without the police giving you permission to move out and then you have to show them where you're moving. That's how they were able to stay up with everybody and knew who lived where and how they were able to pick up the Jews because this is the same system they had during that day. And he said, my country, I have cons consulted with my government and told them that we have to change. And he said, they have agreed to do that. And that is a miracle. That's a miracle. And he said, I want you to come and preach here every week. I said, I will. Now, this is a men's prison. A woman is not allowed even in that prison to visit. He said, will you come and preach? I said, I will if you'll let my wife come and play the piano. Oh, he said, no problem. And she did. And I found the lost and the forgotten Americans. I could take all some more time. I'm going to take another two or three minutes and tell you about some of the people that I found. One night I made a call. I always made an altar call. I couldn't touch anybody. I couldn't pray for them. I couldn't lay hands on them. But I could make an altar call. And they would come forward for prayer. And I'd pray with them. I could stand close and pray with them and tell them how to pray. And one night I had 15 standing along the front here praying, asking the Lord to be their Lord and Savior. And as they were leaving, they turned to walk away. And one of them had his hand. And I could see there was something in his hand. He walked by me and he slipped that to me. And I, I, and I, I took it, stuck it in my pocket. And I never turned around until I got outside. When I got out there, he said, what was his name? Uh, I can't think of it. Huh? He said, he, anyway, he told who he was. He said, I'm from Corpus Christi, Texas. My family thinks I'm dead. I've been gone so long they don't have any idea where I'm at. This is the phone number they used to have. Please call them. They're seven hours different, so that meant if I had to call them in the morning, I had to call them at night. And Anyway, I stayed up where I could call. Almost called his name then. Uh, that was from Memphis, Tennessee. But anyway, this guy, I can't think of his name. Thought I wouldn't forget him. That's what happens when you get old, though. Your mind goes. And <laughs> I called that morning, and uh, a lady answered the phone, and I said, I, um, I'm trying to locate the family. I wish I could think of that. Uh, I want to say Charles Pierce, but that wasn't it. Anyway, she said, well, I'm, I'm their daughter. And I said, well, are they there? She said, no, my dad died several years ago. And I said, well, do you have a brother? And his name is Clyde. And she said, yes, but he's been dead for years as well. I said, well, what did he look like? And she began to describe him as a young man. And I said, well, I may have found your brother. And I told her the story that he had given me a note and said for me to call this number. She said, just a moment. She brought her mother to the phone. And her mother said, my daughter thinks you have found my son. I have flashbacks when I get to telling the story. And I said, I may have. She said, what does he look like? And I told about what he weighed and all that, and his hair is gray, and, you know. She said, that's my son. That's my son. You found him. 
I said, no, God found him. And I said, tonight he came up for salvation. She said, oh, we have prayed for him so many times, so many times. And I said, well, God answered prayer. God answered prayer. He really got saved tonight. So Germany has a system that when you are paroled, you don't leave the prison. Here in the States, if you get paroled, you go into what they call a halfway house to slowly acclimate back into civilian life, learn to accept the responsibility, try to get a job, try to do all of that, get back into the living again. In Germany, they don't do that. If you're going to be dismissed, say, on the 1st of March, you know you can be dismissed. You could leave. But they advise you to stay in the prison until psychologically you're prepared to go out and face the world. You may have been there for 20 or 30 years, but you've got to get yourself ready to go back and face the world. So they told me, he said, uh, I won't keep calling him Clyde, but it's not, is it? I can't think of his name. But anyway, uh, they told me that he was going to be discharged on a certain time. He had served his time in that prison. I don't know how many years he'd been there, but he was, he'd served his time. And I asked him, I said, um, uh, when are you be leaving? He said, I'll be released, but I don't know if I want to leave. And I said, well, let me do some thinking. And I called his mother and I said, your son is going to be released from this prison. And he will be released on a certain day. And she said, how will he come home? I said, well, the German police will put him on the plane and he'll fly into uh, New York. And from New York, he will fly into Dallas and from Dallas into Corpus Christi. She said, how will he come home dressed? I said, in prison clothes. She said, can I send him some clothes to come home in? I said, I'll check. I talked to the warden of the prison. I said, told her about this boy going to go home. I said, can he, can he change clothes so that he can go home in civilian clothes? And the warden, as I said, I really think he was scared to death of me. I don't know. He, he was always, anything I said, it sounds good to me. He said, because <laughs> he had never seen anything like that that night in that prison. And I think he was ready he said, yeah, I think I can work it out. He said, we will see to it. Yes, I will get him, I'll get permission for him to receive clothes at the Frankfurt International Airport before he gets on the plane. So I called his mother and she sent him a box of clothes, I mean shoes, socks, underwear, everything you could think of, she sent him, brand new stuff. So I told the warden, I said, I've got the clothes. They'll be in the box. He told the guard there would be a state trooper, what we'd call a state trooper, and a guard from the prison would bring him into the international airport, one on either side. He is not to leave their sight until they put him on the plane. But they knew what I was there for as well, and I saw him coming in that huge terminal. And I'm holding this box of clothes, and they get up there close they take the handcuffs off and they walk away. And that is not supposed to happen. I handed him the clothes. He went in the bathroom and changed and came out. Nice looking young man. The guards then walked him to the plane as if they were just for the first time arriving. 
They put him on a plane. They have to stand there for 30 minutes after the plane takes off in case there's plane and he comes back. He'll never be allowed back in that country. They stood there and watched the plane disappear and I'm standing there with the guard and the patrolman and we watched that plane disappear knowing the next time they touch down, he'll be home. I had a guy It's 8 o'clock, isn't it? Is that 8? I can't see it. Straight up 8. Okay, well, I was fixing to tell you another story. but Okay, I'll, I'll do this real fast. I'll take two minutes if I can. There was another guy being dismissed. I had been at a missionary conference in Memphis, Tennessee. I, a lot of the churches came together, so I was a little familiar with some of the pastors. And um, they said, uh, Charles, Charles, uh, huh? Charles Adams, thank you. I knew I brought over here for something about it. Charles Adams. I said, Charles, you're going to be free. He says, and you can go home. He said, no, no, I'm not going home. I said, why not? He said, do you know what I've got? I said, sure I do. He said, I wouldn't trade this for anything. I said, Charles, do you know they have that in the church back home? He didn't know that. He said, no, you, you're, 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 you know, I mean, I could hear them coming in there every Monday night, just clapping and singing and shouting as they walked down them aisles, coming in there to have service, and we had church. So I rode home to five pastors in the Memphis area and I said, there's a young man by the name of Charles Adams. And I said, he's from Memphis, but he don't want to come home because he's been saved over here and he thinks this is the only place you can have joy in your soul. And three of them rode him back and said, we still got that same stuff over here. And he agreed to leave and go home then. Uh, I didn't take two minutes on that. Let me tell you another one real fast. <laughs> Jim Powell, this is the young man I was telling you about. Jim is an angel. If he was ever a man sent of God to the prison, Jim Powell was sent. He won, I don't know how many, to the Lord. He changed, there's a revival that took place in the St. George prison in Bayreuth. And my heart went out to him. Every week I'd go in, I'd say, John, George, I'm just telling you, Jim, I don't know how you do it. He said, I'm doing God's work. And I said, I've got to make an emergency trip. I had to fly into Springfield, I mean overnight, then fly right back. And I said, I'm going to try to do something, but I won't tell you about it right now. I flew in, I called his wife, Sharon, in Wichita Falls, I mean into Amarillo, Texas. And I said, Sharon, I'm coming. I don't have much time. I'm just going to drive in. I'll meet you at Denny's. I've got to see you so I can tell Jim that I saw you. And I want to talk to you about Jim. And I sat down with this girl. They got two small children. And I said, um, Sharon, how's it been going? And she says, I cry all the time. My kids cry all the time. She said, you don't know what it's like. It's terrible. And I said, I think I understand, Sharon, but I'm going to tell you, God has got Jim in a place that he's blessing so many other people. I can tell you, he's really blessing them. 
He's won the hearts of the officials. He has that, that prison in his hand. Now, I know that don't excite you, but it's really exciting to me. But I'll tell you what, we're praying. We pray for you and the kids every week. I went back out there. I went home, back to my house. And um, Germany, most of their kids through, are through their education at age 14. Eighth grade, that's it. That's all. Unless they happen to be a part of the first 5%, top of 5%, then they might have a chance to go and do more with their lives, become a doctor, a lawyer, or whatever they're going to do. You have to be able to be at the top of that 5%. We lived there in a village. Now we had, Sabrina was 18. 15, 16, 17, 10, 17. Anyway, kids draw kids. You know how that works. Our kids were drawing kids. There's a boy next door named Jorgen Lehmann. He's over at the house all the time over there. We could never sit down to eat that Jorgen wasn't there. Over there all the time. And... Um, and I, I really didn't understand the system that much because I didn't have any reason to know. But one day I just asked Jürgen, I said, Jürgen, I've got a problem. And I, what had happened, I came back home. My heart was so burdened for this family, Sharon and Jim Powell, their kids, that I went to talk to the minister of prisons. Now, you've got to be bold to do that because they don't really have time for you. And I'm not saying this disrespectfully, but... Uh, they don't want to see you. So when I walked in there, I knew the reception that I would receive. When I walked in, I said, Sir, I've come to talk to you about a prisoner. Yeah, I hear about them all the time. And I said, Well, I, I feel like you need to hear about this one. And he said, Well, all right, what is it? And I started telling him the story about this young man. He stopped and he said, where is this boy at? And I said, he's in the St. George prison in Byroy. He said, that's Jim Powell. I said, yes. He said, I do not know any prisoner, but I know Jim Powell. He has changed German's penal system. It's changed. And I said, well, that boy, and I began to tell the story about his wife and his kids and their, how they're crushed. And he said, I'm telling you. And I told him the whole story. And he says, listen. He said, you know, we got rules and we're not like Americans and we got laws that you don't have. And I said, I know that, sir. He said, you go home and write this up just the way you told me. And then you get some lawyer to put all the legal terms so that it will look official and bring it back to me. So I'm back at the house and I said, Jurgen, I need some help. I said, you know this community, I don't. I said, would you please help me? to find a lawyer that could read this letter and put the legal terms and translate it. He started laughing. He said, what do you think I'm going to school to do? I said, I have no idea. He said, I'm a lawyer. I said, then here you are, buddy. <laughs> and he did that. He translated it, put the legal terms, gave it back to me. I took it to the prison, to the warden of prisons for the Germans. And he said, I cannot promise you anything. I said, sir, I understand. I've done all I can do. I just felt like, I, he said, I am going to take it, but don't expect anything. I said, I understand. I walked out. 
That was in probably November, October. October, we came home in November, didn't we? Our four years were up, so we came home. I'm living right over here with mother and daddy. Carol knows where they lived. I got a phone call on a Saturday just before Thanksgiving. When I answered the phone, I heard somebody's voice that I recognized. I said, who is this? He said, Jim Powell. I said, Jim, where in the world are you? He said, Amarillo, Texas. I said, what happened? He said, I have no earthly idea. But he said, me and Sharon will be down this Sunday to see you. And they did. And I said, tell me what happened. He said, well, three or four days ago, I was sitting in my cell. They handed me a box, said, put all your stuff in here. You're going home. He said, how? They said, we have no idea. It's come from the top. You're going home. We don't know how it was done, but you're going home. And he said, even the warden didn't know why I was going home. But he got the, top, the word from the top. And Jim, I told him the story about getting it taken to the warden, uh, to the prison minister. And he said, well, that's how it happened. And he was back home in Amarillo. I wish I could tell you how many people God saved out of that. Only eternity will tell us what happened. I don't know. I just don't know. I know I've already gone two minutes over. No, a little over two minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> you have a question. Anybody have a question? I said I was going to let you. Yeah. I, I think I think I was 35, okay. and she's four years younger than me, so she'd been about 31. Okay, I was wondering about that. But y'all yeah. were of character. What I was thinking is y'all were of character. Y'all were solid. You know what I mean? I mean, for them to grill you like that, you were solid as they could be. I don't know about I that now. Oh, you're a good woman. <laughs> I, I spent 11 years over there. I, I, I wish I could tell you about more things that happened. When I first got over, I met a German woman. Her name was Trudy Storha. And she let me know, Brother Tuck, you're going to go here. I said, no, I'm not, Trudy. I'm going over there. No, you're going here. If you've never really talked to a German, <laughs> they are persistent. Did you know she was right? I think it was six years later, I wound up over there where she said. <laughs> yeah, just like she said. Anyway, that's another story. You would love that story. <laughs> Anyone else have another question before we go? We got to go. It's, it's break time. You know, uh, Hebrews says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Yes. And it wasn't worthy of it. I believe that's a situation where the world just wasn't worthy of it. We don't know. That's, just, that's what I was saying. Now to him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Turn your imagination loose. You want to see what a miracle is like? Turn your imagination loose. And God will do exceedingly, abundantly. I found that to be a fact. I've seen God do it all. So I just, I, I don't doubt it. 
One second. Anyway, anyone else? Fix and close. Oh, sh This is Stacy, and she comes over and cleans house for us. Uh, and and she came over duck. today, and they brought her to church. Today she's a duck. <laughs> Lord, lay your hand upon every one of these lives, upon our heart, upon our imagination, upon even our expressions, that God, you be glorified and lifted up. In Jesus, go with us tonight, we pray. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. amen.